Property is located within the Wells community area near the northwest corner of East Telegraph Road and Nevada Avenue. It is approx approximately 1.1 acres in size and contains multiple structures. The Brown Bush House is a two-story craftsman farmhouse located at a, on a 1.1-acre site within the Wells community. It's on the north side of Telegraph Road and it's located between Linden Drive and Nevada Avenue. The house was originally constructed in 1912. As noted, the home was constructed in 1912 on a 95-acre walnut and lima bean ranch property originally owned by David and Susie Brown. At the time, the surrounding area was considered part of the Sadequa community. The Brown Barranca, which begins in the foothills north of Ventura, directly north the northern terminus of Sadequa Avenue, and runs just east of the subject property before eventually emptying into the Santa Clara River, is actually named after the Browns. This picture is from 1945 and shows the property outlined in red, surrounded by agricultural uses. In 1883, uh, David and Susie Brown came west to Ventura County to make their home. Uh, David Brown was a farmer, and by 1886, his property was 90 acres in size. David Brown is referenced as an early pioneer of the area and served on the first board of the directors for the Ventura County Fair. Uh, he passed away in 1944, and his wife passed in 1956. In 1961, Dr. Ralph Bush and his wife, Deborah, moved to Ventura and bought the subject property. Ralph and his medical partner were the first anesthesiologist to practice in the county in the 1960s. The building has remained a single-family residence since it was originally built in 1912, and its location and setting, while no longer an active farm, remains residential in Phil. In the 1960s and 70s, the property experienced a number of changes. In addition to the main residence, it was constructed to the rear of the house in a craftsman style. In addition, a guest house, pool, pool house, detached garage, utility room, and storage structure were also added. The Brown Bush home was built in the craftsman style with a low-slung roof, a large porch, a gabled roof with four six-over one, four six-over one wood windows exposed posts and beams, and prominent wooden rafter tails. The house is entirely clad in wood siding. The first story consists of shiplap siding, which transition to, transitions to fish scale shingles for all of the exterior walls of the upper story. Most of the fixed windows throughout the first story consist of clear leaded glass, with an upper portion uh, with a beveled pattern as well, and many unique stained glass windows are also present. Staff uses the Secretary of the Interior Standards for evaluation for our analysis, when, uh, which comprised the basis of historic resource evaluation throughout the United States. When used to guide the analysis uh, at the local level, the threshold for significance is adjusted to the local context. However, the principles are still applied in the same manner. Municipal Code Section 24.455 contains the local landmark criteria. The documentation prepared by the applicant and attached to the staff report describes those criteria. Criteria B, which involves the property's association with the lives of persons who made a meaningful contribution to local history. While David Brown is recognized as one of the early farmers in the area and served on the first board of directors of the Venturi County Fair, uh, staff believes not enough evidence was provided to demonstrate his importance within the local co historic context uh, meeting the criteria for criteria B. 
Dr. Ralph Bush, however, is recognized as one of the first anesthesiologists to practice in Ventura County. He spent the majority of his career in the county, including Community Memorial Hospital, and was well recognized by a member of the U.S. House of Representatives as a medical pioneer in Ventura County. For those reasons, staff believes that the criteria B is met uh, in, uh, as it pertains to Dr. Ralph Bush. Subject residents would be easily recognizable by a historic contemporary or someone who would have been alive in the early 1900s and therefore maintains a high degree of recognizable integrity. The building has remained a single-family residence since it was built in 1912, and its location and setting, materials, workmanship, and aesthetic feeling remain unchanged. Staff feels there is evidence that the residence exemplifies the craftsman architecture of the early 1900s to a degree that qualifies as a local landmark, and therefore is eligible for the local designation as a Ventura landmark under Criteria C. Staff believes the subject building also represents a good example of craftsman architecture in the city expansion and civic improvement period of significance and embodies a particular type and method of construction. The subject residence would be easily recognizable by a historic contemporary alive in, or someone alive in the 1900s and therefore maintains the high degree of recognizable integrity. Distinctive features, as previously noted, include the deep porch, a gabled roof, four six over one wood windows, exposed posts and beams, prominent wooden rafter tails, and wood siding that would indicate eligibility under this criteria D. California Office of Historic Preservation defines integrity as the authenticity of a historical resource's physical identity evidenced by the survival of characteristics that existed during the resource's period of significance. The building maintains a high degree of recognizable integrity as previously noted, through the, peri the period of significance is the city expansion and civic improvement, which covers the years of 1906 to 1919. House sits in its original location, and the sitting, while no longer an active farm, does remain residential and filled. The design of the craftsman style residence is intact, and the materials and workmanship that was applied to the structure in 1912 is visible and unchanged. While a majority of the interior is also original, the landmark request is limited to only the exterior. With that, staff believes the subject building maintains a high degree of recognizable integrity, and staff agrees that the building's period of significance beginning in 1912, the exterior has changed very little. It is believed to, staff believes that uh, the request meets the criteria B, C, and D, However, staff looks for the HPC for concurrence on which criteria are appropriate met, appropriately met to designate the building as a historic landmark. This concludes staff's uh, presentation. We're happy to answer any questions, and the applicant is also here to answer any questions. Great. Thank you so much for the presentation. You did great in Jared's absence. Jared um, would have been better. We all know <laughs> it. It's fine. Jared would be happy. Um, do we have any uh, questions of staff? I don't believe I have any. Mm -hmm. I have a quick question. Um, you, you stated the period of significance, 1912? Uh, it was, oh, let me go, city expansion, the civic improvement period, yes. So it's 1906 to 1919. I did have one question about, um, which I can probably find in the attached report, but um, the anesthesiologist, when did he begin occupying the property? Sure. Sure. 
have these attachments. Yeah. In 1961, I believe, is when the uh, Dr. Ralph Bush acquired the property. Okay. Thank you. Um, any other questions of staff before we see if the applicant would like to address us? No. Okay. Is the applicant here? <laughs> Did you have anything you'd like to say to us before we move on to deliberation? If you'll just go to the podium, feel free to speak. Just on. Hello, I'm Tim Nicely. I'm here with my wife, uh, most of my children, and my in-laws. And also in the front row are two of the Bush children who were agreeing that they moved there in 1961 <laughs> because I believe that is the year that Pete Bush was born when his, in, that, in that house. So I don't have much to say. I just want to be available to answer questions or direct them to uh, the Bushes who might know more than I do. Okay, great. Thank you so much. Thanks for all being here. And I wanted to first of all say that I was really impressed that you, you guys did your own land, landmark nomination, right? Not a lot of people actually do that. And that is the objective of the process for the public to be able to actually accomplish it without um, a consultant. So kudos on that. Um, and thanks to you guys be, for being here as well. Um, did we have any questions? Can we go back and forth with the applicant at this point? Um, I think first we want to make sure uh, we don't have any public comment public on comment. that. I don't okay, know. so um, with that we can move on to the public comment period. Do we have any members of the public that would like to address us on this item? We received one written comment card in support of agenda item number two. Uh, Mr. Gabriel Zamora, would you like to come to the podium and speak? Hello, my name is Gabriel Zamora. I am a, a resident of Santa Paula and a member of the Santa Paula Conservancy, which is a historical preservation group um, with uh, an acknowledged uh, regional focus as well as uh, local. And just wanted to uh, lend our support to the application and thank uh, the city, um, uh, in particular the planner and the applicant for uh, the care and um, uh, diligence that's been uh, applied uh, to this application and um, kind of second the comment that has already been offered by the committee um, but also just uh, thanks to the city of Ventura for you know not just establishing this process but you know maintaining it and supporting it so well thanks Thank you so much. Any other comments? There are no additional comment cards. Okay, great. So with that, we can um, close public hearing and then we can, I think we can deliberate at this point and we can actually go back and forth with the applicant if we have specific questions. We that's have correct. to open. You reopen okay. it, but yeah, that's Okay, so we can move on to um, our conversation and if we need to open public, um, the public comment period back open, up to you know ask any questions of the applicant we can go ahead and do that um, okay so thoughts I mean this it's really exciting to actually see a landmark um, application come before us and like I said just really great that the homeowners were able to go through that process themselves um, I guess I have one thing I'd like to discuss regarding 
I didn't take a real close look at the resolution, but I don't know if it identifies the period of significance, but it looks like if we go with the criteria that has been recommended by staff, which I do agree with, then the period associated with Mr. Bush is extends, you know, much later than the initial period of significance for architecture. So I think that's something we need to clarify. Um, and that's tricky with criterion B, I, f I feel, because the, the architectural value of the home is very, you know, obvious physically. And so I feel like it does make sense to have that more narrow period of significance. But if we are going for B as well, I do feel we should expand it to include that, the period he occupied the home. I, in, in reviewing the materials, I would uh, rather, my recommendation or suggestion yeah. would be to uh, keep the period of significance as that expansion period, 1906 to 1919, and um, not disregarding Dr. Bush's contributions, certainly to the uh, field of the medical field and the, the county itself. It, to me, it falls outside of the period of the home and mm -hmm. the fact that they, they lived there and changed, made additions to the home and uh, it does, the, the additions don't change the um, representation of the historic uh, craftsman style of the home. Uh, but I, I think that it's uh, eligible under criteria C and D and not be, and would also like to see, it was in one of the slides, but um, have the specific sort of demarcation of the non-contributor, as a non-contributor, the 1967 wing or addition onto the house. It, it clearly is uh, different, exactly. It clearly is different, uh, and you can demarcate that from uh, the original craftsman structure, um, but so those are kind of the two, two things that I'm suggesting. Can we see the photo that was of the rear? I wanted to understand where that photo was taken from based on the site plan. Yeah, that one. No, not, sorry, not that one. No. I believe there's one. It's one with the picnic tables. Yes. Yeah, because that shows the addition, yeah. Just tell me if I hit it. It's the one with the that dog one. in it? Yeah. There you go. The one with the dog. That's not, the That's not the addition, okay. Okay, but that is the right picture? There are pictures of the addition. I do have some supplemental pictures that are... Yeah, that would be we great. Can, we can go through there. Yeah, I think we need to rectify the criteria with the period of significance in some way. So we either... Yeah. So I'll just click through, the, click through these additional photos. Um, if you see any of interest and you want to pause, just let me know. And so the proposed um, landmark does exclude that? Correct. The proposed landmark will only include the original structure. Okay. 
I would agree with that because you don't see the, the fish scaling on the second level and the windows are certainly not with the 1912 construction. So uh, it makes, in, in my opinion, it makes perfect sense to stick with the original uh, period of construction in the house, not have um, the addition, I mean, it, you know, it's obviously it's attached, but it would be a non-contributor to the historic period, but it also does not take away from the mm -hmm. integrity of the original 1912 uh, home. Yeah, staff would agree the distinction is good to make. Um, it is, I think, believe, I believe Jared included that in the report, that the additions are not part of it, and, that, and, and that's an important distinction because if any work is to be performed on those portions of the property, it would not be subject to the landmark restrictions. Mm -hmm. So, um, yes, that it would just cover the original structure. And staff, staff agrees if, if you feel only two out of the three criteria are appropriate to apply to the project, that's, staff concurs with that as well. Uh, I have a clarifying question. So even if the person who bought the home was alive in a later time, but was still a steward of the, you know, keeping the older section, where, you know, it needs to be for, you know, historic preservation. Would that still count for, you know, it? he was still maintaining the integrity of the 1919 home. So, and he was a person who made a meaningful contribution mm -hmm. to the state and local history. So, um, I guess that's yeah, that's what we're kind of wrestling with. Like, right, as as listed in the code, and this is where these criteria come from. They're 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 all separate criteria. So um, to to that point, um, as it reads, and I'm, I would defer to the committee on making the ultimate recommendation. It seems that the lives of persons who made a meaningful contribution to national, state, or local history are not necessarily tied to those periods of significance. Um, mm -hmm. I think that we could um, we could make a resolution to approve the landmark and and just go with the two criteria that are related to architecture, but also recognize you know publicly the contributions. It's not an it's not a way to indicate that those were not significant contributions. It's just a way to um, kind of define what the landmark is, what the regulate, you know, what is regulated, I, I feel. Um, so we, we could do that. We could, we could make a motion to approve the landmark and um, apply criterion C and D, um, and also recognize the contributions of Mr. Bush as well. <coughs> if we'd like to, people are comfortable with that. Yep, that would be appropriate if someone wanted to make a motion. Did we have, did the applicant have a question? We can go ahead and open public comment and you could, okay. yeah. Hi, thank you. Um, this is a great conversation. It's really exciting to have. Um, I just wanna, this all makes a ton of sense. I just wanna add that the fish scales on the upper story um, wrap all the way around, except for the, that back 
picture that was shown. There's a single hung window on the side that's not shown in these pictures. And the front, the face, which is on the, one of the first slides that the staff presented, show the whole thing in its entirety if you want to see that in context. But all that you're saying makes perfect sense. Just adding that for context. Thank you. Okay, well, I am comfortable making a mo unless, is there more, any other comments or deliberation that we need to ha have? So let me understand, we, the motion would be for landmark status under criteria C and D and an acknowledgement of Dr. Bush's contributions to Yeah, I mean, I just want to make it clear that we're not trying to imply that, you know, there weren't contributions. It's just a way to kind of limit, I think, what's regulated and what, what embodies, you know, the historic period is really the older portion, the original portion of the home. I don't even know that the acknowledgement, that doesn't necessarily need to be in the resolution. I would prefer to keep them entirely separate because going forward, if we get other non property mm -hmm. nominations and we have varying criteria, whether it's people or events or whatever that fall outside of the period of significance, I would hate to have the waters muddied by a referral back to yeah, this example or that example. If we're sticking to the um, period of significance is 1906 to 1919, that expansion period within the city of Ventura and the construction period of the house, 1912, and, and not enough information on Mr. Brown's contributions, um, again, not negating the importance of Dr. Bush, but I would prefer to see the two kept separate in terms of the landmark nomination. That makes sense. It just keeps it very clear. So, and I'll just chime in. Just a reminder. So, what what um, the committee is being asked up tonight is to make a recommendation to the city council. So, what we'd be looking for is just a motion to recommend approval of the landmark designation to city council under criteria and then you can just list what criteria you feel like actually um, should move forward to council okay then, uh, then i'll make a motion that um, we make the recommendation to the city council that the um, 108807 telegraph be uh, put forward as a landmark uh, at the local level of consideration under criteria C and D. Second. Is it C and B though? Or no? It B was C and D. D. Okay, got it. Motion on. If we can get a roll call. Motion on the table. Member Stratton? Yes. Member Krieg? Yes. Chair Purcell? Yes. Motion carries. Great, thank you so much. With that, we can move on to formal item number three, project 15382, Poli three unit request for major design review located at 405 Poli Street. And I do believe we have a staff report. Yes, uh, the next item on the agenda is a new development project for three units. Next slide. 
The project site is a vacant through lot um, bound by Poli Street um, and Brakey Road. The site is adjacent to other residential uses, including single family homes um, and multifamily homes, and the Brakey landmark number 64 directly adjacent to the lot. The property is located within the downtown specific plan the hillside height overlay and also, um, or it's not within any historic district. Next slide. For context, here's some images of, of the surrounding area. Um, the property is just down the street here from City Hall. Um, so the, the site, um, a hillside property, so Brakey Road up towards the north, um, Poli, looking west, um, and then the, the site adjacent to the Brakey House, um, and an additional aerial, just so you can see the, the vacant lot. Next slide. The proposed project includes three residential units. Um, each will be detached um, with one main house that would be accessed off of Brakey Road, and then two identical units on the lower side that would be accessed off um, with additional uh, landscaping and other um, site improvements. Next slide. The proposed project is here at the HPC tonight because in the downtown specific plan there is a provision that states all new development contiguous to a lot containing a historic resource shall undergo design review by the HPC. So um, the, the project being on the lot next door to the Brakey Road um, is the only reason why it's here tonight. Not necessarily a historic design review. Um, it is a normal design review through the downtown specific plan. Just contextually, it just happens to be next to the landmark and this is what is intended by the DTSP. Um, so the uh, DTSP requires a review to the historic design guidelines in the DTSP. Um, there are several design principles listed that were in your packet. In addition to that, um, the new development would be reviewed against the Secretary of the Interior Standards. Um, the project was reviewed by the city's historic consultant, HRG, and they looked at the new development with relation to each of the design guidelines in the DTSP and the Secretary of the Interior Standards. They've identified one design guideline or design principle from the DTSP that would apply to this project. Um, that being up there up the, on the screen that it's more related towards the architectural characteristics of the surrounding area. Um, again, the intent not to be uh, a replicate, replica or emulating the historic building, but that it fits contextually within the style of the area. And then two standards um, from the Secretary of the Interior Standards that were related to, to the new development. Next slide. Um, so here's an image of, of the project, some renderings. Uh, the, the DTSP historic design guidelines are typically applied to actual historic properties, um, but the intent of the DTSP for the contiguous law is um, intended for projects that 
you would normally see like on Main Street where you're sharing a wall, you are directly next to a landmark, you see a lot of those in downtown where um, you have infill projects that are, whether they're on different lots, but they share walls with these landmark structures. So I believe that's the intent. This is the strict interpretation that we're bringing forward tonight. Um, so this is the building design. It's a simple, simple form, simple massing that's not intended to detract from, from the landmark um, and keep the, the materials pretty minimal. Um, and again, just it meets all the, the development code uh, requirements. Um, and oh, we can go to the next slide. Here are some of the elevations as well just so you can see kind of more of the texture of it. Um, the, the project proposes um, the simple elements like the, the wood siding, the hardy board, the stucco, um, slightly pitched roof, and um, again with the landscaping, landscaping and site improvements. Um, so the standards that were listed on the, on the previous slides apply that apply to the new construction are met due to the differentiation between the landmark and this proposed project um, that was established through HRG they had recognized that the the standards and the design guideline historic design guidelines are really intended to identify these properties as different that they show that they um, are not um, detracting from the landmark and that the historic resource really stands out on its own. So um, the, the, the elevations, as you can see, kind of do just that. Um, in addition to the design, the standards from the Secretary of the Interior um, state that if, additionally, if there's development removed in the future, that there wouldn't be any impact to the historic resource. Since this doesn't share any walls, it is on a separate, wall, uh, separate lot that has setbacks. Removing this in the future, if ever, would not impact the historic resource. Um, next slide. So the proposed project overall wouldn't, wouldn't impact the historic resource directly and that the character would be maintained within the area with a simple design to allow the historic structure to really stand out. The downtown specific plan requires HPC to review the design with respect to the historic design guidelines and the standards, but that we recommend you move the project forward um, as is to the planning commission with their major design review, which would be reviewed by them. That's all I have. Um, the applicant is here too as well. Great, thanks Jamie. Mm -hmm. and thanks for interpreting the code strictly and bringing, <laughs> bringing it forward. Um, do we have I, any specific questions of staff? Before, okay. No. I had one, but maybe, I'm not sure if it's more appropriate for the applicant, but can we just clarify what this all the setbacks are? Sure, yeah, and I think the applicant can probably okay. give a better idea. I don't have. Okay, um, okay. yeah. Um, I believe are there any members of the public that wish to speak on this item? There are no comment cards on this item. Okay, great. Um, so I believe we would deliberate and bring the applicant up. Can we do that? Okay. If, well, before that, if the applicant has something that he could present or have, if 
Doug, if you have anything you'd like to say, you can go up to the podium. He can present and then. Thank you. Yeah. I always, this process <laughs> is still doesn't sink in. Yeah. Yeah. Hi, my name's Doug Mickey. I'm here with my wife, Oksana. Um, this is a project that we first met with the planning department in 2017. Um, I find it kind of interesting that I'm here proposing a contemporary uh, project with the architectural, you know, the history preservation. But I, you know, I do understand and I knew from the beginning the significance of the breaky house next door and the need to try to accommodate uh, it in the design. Um, you know, one of the first design guidelines that I saw uh, was, you know, part A, and it reads, design of infill building facade should be influenced by the other facades on the street, but should not attempt to copy. So, and I, I thought instinctively, you know, maybe a neo-Victorian would actually distract from the historical significance of the breaky house. And uh, we thought through, well, maybe neo-Mediterranean. Uh, um, and I've prepared a series of photos. I was wondering if you would bear with me as we do a journey through the facades uh, in my neighborhood. And if I had to declare the character of my neighborhood, I would have to call it very eclectic. Um, the first picture, of course, is our lot. And you can see, um, there's a, a, a significant amount of distance between the breaky house and the property line. There's a, uh, you know, the beginning of a chain link fence that's there along the property line. So that distance from the property line and then my setback, which is a five foot setback on the sides, a 15 foot setback on the uh, front of the property. Um, contributes to a, a good um, spacing proportion between the proposed um, project and uh, Breaky House. Um, the second uh, page there, that shows immediately to the north of the lot. I mean, if I could, if I could call that a facade, I'm going to try to stay out of the light here. There we go. Uh, you know, if I could call that a facade, it almost looks like a window facade. Um, and that's one of the characteristics about this neighborhood is because of its location and, and height above the downtown Main Street and downtown, there's a lot of windows in the facades of all the houses in this neighborhood, including the Breaky House. Uh, page three, that's the Sesame building across the street. Um, you know, concrete tilt up. Um, you know, not a very pretty facade in my opinion, but um, you know, that's directly across the street from my house, or from the project. Uh, the next page, uh, this pink house, you know, it's very brightly colored. Um, and you can see its front setback is, is less than the front setback that I'm proposing. So that uh, I'm gonna, the proposal here is to set the, the main, you know, the two houses down below, push them back further back and that will provide a, a more of a view corridor if people are taking are looking at the breaky house from Poli to the west of our project. Um, the next page is I, I don't know is that a uh, is that a Spanish style or Mediterranean style? I'm you know and uh, so I mean this is completely different than uh, the, the wood siding of the breaky house, but it is a common characteristic in the neighborhood is 
uh, houses that have been built out of stucco. And so there were two elements that I found in the neighborhood that I really wanted to incorporate in this, and that was the stucco along with horizontal, horizontal siding, because those are the two common elements in the neighborhood in terms of the materials that the facades are made out of. And incidentally on this one, as you'll notice, it has a two-car garage that sits right up against the sidewalk. And that was another thing that we wanted to avoid, although um, you'll see on the next three photos, that's a common characteristic of the neighborhood. It's one we didn't want to incorporate. And so we pushed the, you know, have a driveway and push the garage back so that, um, it, you know, it just, to me, uh, like the next page, I mean, really, I just wanted to show the three car garage there. To me, that's not a very attractive look from uh, Poli. Additionally, we just, we put the two, each, each of the front units require a one car parking. Uh, we put them together in one garage so that we didn't have a series of garage doors, um, you know, facing um, Poli Street. Uh, the next page is the Morrison House. And unfortunately for me, I think this is actually the least attractive building on the street. And it's really sad because the top two, two stories are the actual Victorian house, which is a beautiful house. But they elected to, you know, put an additional story under it on top of another uh, nearly um, full height retaining wall. And what they've got there is out of character with the neighborhood, which is a four-story structure that just sticks right up out of the hillside. And, um, you know, as we're proposing kind of a cascading design that's very common with that, um, that Spanish-style um, building that was there with uh, two pages earlier. So I, I just, this one's in there to show the garages, but personally I think, you know, on the hillside lot, it's nice to, to try to conform a little bit to the feel of the slope of the lot by breaking the facade up, and we did that. Uh, the next is just the condos on the, the remainder of the west side of the property. Uh, the next is, you know, there's the facade of the city hall, so it's a Roman style facade and again, yet another different building style. Um, there is here, after that, um, there is a craftsman. I mean, this is about the, you know, a relatively genuine looking craftsman. Uh, this is on the other side of the breaky house. Again, it's the, the siding. But if you turn the next page, there's two things I wanted to to point out on this is, if you look at the side of that house, it's all been covered with asbestos siding. So the original horizontal wood siding has been hidden underneath this layer of asbestos siding. Um, it looks to me like they incorporated, added a bay window on that side. And you know, that, um, as we'll see on the breaky house, the bay window was added there, so there's a lot of small additions that are made on the uh, houses in the neighborhood. And the third picture is, is the next picture after that. I don't know, it's taken from the corner of the street across from City Hall. Are you guys, did I lose you? Or are you still following? Okay. With you. And what I wanted to show is something that I thought also was important in the development of the contemporary home we're, we're proposing. The corner house there, it had palm tree trees planted in the front yard, and so if you're standing on Poli there, they really obscure the view of the breaky house. 
and they make it you know, almost impossible to see. And so we're not proposing any um, high uh, landscaping in front of the uh, project. It's going to be low scale. The city does request two street trees to be planted, and we will be planting those. But I think by keeping them out of the front lawn, that front 15-foot setback, it will provide a much better view of the breaky house. And then um, the next page, these are uh, more of the neighborhood at the one, one street up, if you would. And then, of course, Kitty Con Corner is the Canary, the canary Condos. Um, again, very bright colors. Um, one thing that we wanted to avoid, I mean, there's some, a, a lot of, like, solid wall there where it's, you know, there's no balcony breaking it up, there's no differentiation on the facade. And so when we were designing this, rather than having a straight wall all the way across the front, we decided to separate the two um, units, the lower units, by having a courtyard between them so that it broke them up and made them look more like um, the single family homes in the neighborhood. And then finally there's the breaky house and I'm wondering, is it possible to put um, like page G4 or the, the picture of the lower houses on the screen? I think we can get something. Yeah, the number four. And then, yeah, we're, I'm trying to, the middle picture I think gives the best idea of what. So I would ask you to look at the last page, which is the breaky house. Because we are sensitive to it, and we did want to try to incorporate some of the elements in there. It's interesting in that most of the windows at the Breaky House, um, the, the width, you know, the height and the width of them, if you look at the very top, there is a, um, a very vertical rectangle window, or very horizontal one. And so we tried to pick up that window. On each of them, we have one a window that's very horizontal also. So that kind of was flowing from the breaky house to this project. Another thing that was important was the horizontal rhythm. Uh, the horizontal rhythm you can see from uh, the breaky house, they've got the, the upstairs um, balcony uh, and above it that horizontal rhythm and then down below they have the second roof with that same horizontal rhythm. And so we tried to carry that across here to kind of bring that element of the breaky house into the into the um, into these proposed units. Um, you know, we did. They do have a gable roof. Uh, we did put a small gable on there. Originally, we were going to do flat, and then we decided to incorporate the you know a small gable to kind of maybe bring a little bit more of a feel to it. And we, we um, hid the front doors. Um, although the facades in the neighborhood primarily have their front doors, we felt by, by bringing them in on the side, it would, um, you know, it would add to the facade that is on Poli. And it, you know, looking in the design guidelines, you know, the facade proportion was one of the um, things to look at. And we tried to keep the proportions of these similar to the single family homes on the street. Um, horizontal rhythms, the wall articulation, avoid monolithic street wall facades. Um, 
you know, cornice lines, the materials be compatible. So we got the horizontal siding. It's not the wood siding in the actual home. It's a fiberboard, cement fiberboard, but the look is similar to those. So we've carried that in the, in the uh, stucco over. Um, the alignment of buildings established by traditional setbacks on the street. The traditional setbacks probably for many of the buildings on the street is no setback off of Poli. Um, but we've brought ours back to the level of the Brakey House to provide um, that visual. It's also part of the setback requirement, but I think that will, um, the setback's even more favorable than the majority of buildings on the street. And one of them on the window and door design, they talk about the percent of glass versus solid. And if you look at the Brakey House, um, they do have a significant amount of glass. They added that huge bay window you know, with windows on all three sides to the house after, um, I don't know when they added it to it, but they really increased the proportion. And so we've tried to keep kind of a similar thing. You can see the bay window with the window below it, the deck with the window below it, and we tried to keep that same kind of pattern here. So it's a contemporary house in a, in a mixed neighborhood. We're next to the Brakey house. We, in, in our working with the planners over the years, we tried to incorporate elements that we felt, uh, you know, we could some, you know, bring over some of the feel of the Brakey House, particularly with the horizontal rhythm, and um, and that's kind of what how we got here today. Okay, great. Thank you so much for your presentation and for clearly taking the time to think about all of that over the years. I'm sure it's been quite a process um, to go from the ground up on Poli Street, I would imagine. Um, okay, if at, with that we can um, move on to deliberation and if we need to bring the applicant up again, we can go ahead and do that. Um, I can get started because, um, so I just wanna understand the setbacks because that's the main you know, thing that I'm concerned about, really. I mean, I think the design, that area is so eclectic. I looked at it, it's, yeah, there's so much going on there um, in the immediate area. So I really think the massing of the new project and the setbacks are what's going to make, you know, what would make a difference to the adjacent landmark. So the applicant stated that the setback is consistent with that of the Brakey House. Um, so maybe we could um, open public comment, com the public comment period again and just clarify that, like what those actual setbacks are. It's, it's really hard. Uh, unfortunately, we, I, we don't have the setback on the map, but. If you look at the red box and the scale of that, that's five foot. And the Brakey House, this is a deck that's an upstairs deck that's been built on the, off the roof of the second story. But if you look at where it says single family, the SFR, that's basically the sideline of the Brakey House. And if you look at the scale, it's approximately 15 feet from the side, uh, side setback. Oh, from, okay, so that's the side setbacks. Yeah, and okay. so we have from, from the proposed dwelling unit to the side of the Brakey House, we have a 20 feet okay. wide um, distance. 
Okay, and then can we talk about the front setbacks from, yeah, there? Yeah, so we have a 15-foot setback. Okay. Um, and then... Um, Do you know what the breaky ho- where the breaky house is set back to? Uh, I don't think it's, you know, it's almost identical <laughs> as far as I recall. That's, I mean, that is a good question. And that would be to the actual residence or the... Because that, yeah, the actual residence, right? Because they yes. have that wall right on Poli. Yeah, so you have to go up those double stairs. Yeah. And in fact, we our, one of our initial designs was to copy the double stairs, but then it turns out we've got the fire hydrant, the storm drain, the electrical <laughs> box. Being the last lot on the lot, you end up, vacant lot on the street, you end up with all that stuff in front of it. So yeah. that didn't work out too well. <laughs> um, but I know in looking at the, in going and doing in, in this, I think, it's my belief that the setback of the breaky house is similar to what this front setback would be. Okay. And do we happen to know um, in terms of height? So the height of your project maxes out at something around, do you know? Yeah, it's a two story, but, um, and I'm, I'm referring to the, um, the down, the, the two units that really are on the left. So on the, the top unit, the height, the height is off Breaky Road is restricted to 15 feet, which is a very low one-story house, and that's why it's got such a, a very shallow slope on the roof mm. to meet the height. Um, on these ones here, um, I think under the zoning, we could have put in additional units and gone three to three and a half feet high, uh, but we wanted to bring the height down to be um, compatible with the uh, houses on the west and e- and also the breaky house on the east. To, um, to clarify that point, he means 30 feet from the interior side. So if you took the point from the corner of each unit, you can go up 30 feet. Okay. And he's the, the unit, so if you were to... Um, yeah, I mean, as far as a two-story building goes, this building next to the breaky house is probably lower than any other two building story building because part of it is set back into the hillside. And the other thing is the roof is a very, very shallow roof. It's the slope on that roof is, is uh, probably at best uh, a 112 slope, which is a very, you know, nearly flat, but not quite. Um, uh, the, the breaky house will be higher than this finished structure. That was kind of my main question because it's hard to tell in these, like the renderings are really helpful, but it's hard because it's just the new structure, so it's hard to tell the context. But, um, okay. Yeah, I, it, and I, honest, I honestly believe in terms of what the historic resource guidelines are for infill construction next to a historic structure, I think because of the distance from the side wall of the proposed to the existing breaky house, 20 feet a, a pretty for a downtown property is a pretty significant distance between the structures. I mean, a lot of them are in the downtown area are built wall to wall. Um, and I think that 20 feet is a significant amount in terms of the view shed that you'll have mm-hmm. as you, you know, come down Poli and look at it from the angle of where our house is. Um, the corner house, the breaky house, and then these would all have a similar setback. Okay. And then 
you'll get the pink house, which is up slightly, and then as you go further west, they're built, you know, the drive garages and everything are right up against Poli with uh, almost no setback. Okay, great. Thank you so much. And with that, we can uh, close public comment and continue to discuss. If anyone has any thoughts, I, I, I feel like I said, my main concerns are the setback from the breaky house, the setback from the street and the height, like the overall massing of the building. So I feel like if, and then again, because the architecture of the area is so eclectic and we do have a decent separation from these two buildings, I could be comfortable, but I, yeah, that was my main concern was clarifying those setbacks. So I would look to staff to, because it's not on the plans really. So just if we could confirm that the setback from the street is co relatively consistent with the breaky house and then that the, I, and I think I understand the side setback, but just that those two properties, those two buildings are gonna be a consistent setback. That would be great. Um, any other thoughts? I, I don't have any questions or concerns because I think the question that you asked your clarifications for the setbacks, I think that uh, that was very adequately answered. Yeah. And so, um, okay. Any other? Okay. Um, yes. And I wanted to see what our actual, so we're making a recommendation to planning commission to approve the major design review. And I'm assuming this has already gone through design review, like design review committee, like at nauseum probably, right? Okay. Yeah, it went last month. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay, so is it safe to say, if I'm able to address staff, I'm not exactly sure if I am, is it safe to, to rely on the, the, set, the setback clarifications? I mean, you guys are more familiar with the plans that the, this house and the breaky house are con their consistent setback yes from the street we can confirm the setbacks yeah okay mm -hmm. so with the clarification or the confirmation that the setback between the project and the breaky house is i believe around 20 feet and then that those two adjacent structures are you know within a foot or something reasonable um I would make a motion to recommend the Planning Commission approve the major design review for this project. I second it. Get a roll call, please. Um, Chair Perzel? Uh, yes. Member Stratton? Yes. Member Creek? Yes. Motion carries. Okay, great. Thank you so much. Um, with that, we can move on to, that was our only other formal item, I believe. I need to uh, make a motion to go back to project 15099. Um, are we able to? For what purpose? 
because I needed to, I, I did a site visit and I need to have on record. That oh, I the ex parte communication. Here. Yeah, of course. Uh, Chris, is there a right or wrong time to do that at this point? Uh, well, the right time would have done it when would have been earlier. Um, I, I I don't think there's any harm in, in uh, doing go ahead and disclosing that disclosing now. it now. Yes. Okay. So yeah, if uh, if the chair wants to ask uh, about if there was any ex parte communication, okay. um, um, did we have any ex parte communication for f related to formal item number two, project one o one five o nine nine Brown House landmark request? Um, no, just clarifying questions about the landscaping. Oh, you did have, you, are we able to do that? You'll just want to disclose if you, if you visited the site and if, who you spoke with. I, um, I went to the site and I spoke with, uh, Timothy Nicely. The applicant, yes. Huh? The applicant. Yeah. The, the applicant, yes. Great. Okay, and I visited the site and spoke to uh, Mr. Nicely, Tim Nicely, and kept all of our conversation as it was presented in the staff report. We didn't go outside of the staff report. Okay. In the future, so am I supposed to ask that? I should ask at yeah, the beginning? Yeah, and okay. I should have got it as well. Sorry. Yeah, just at the beginning of each item, you'll just okay. ask. I don't think I've ever done that, so that's my my apologies. Um, okay, well, thank you both for disclosing that information. <laughs> um, and I believe with that we can move on to staff communication. Where did staff have any um, thing to communicate with us about? Uh, just that the next meeting will be April twentieth, and we'll see you next month. Okay, great. And with that, we are adjourned.